morning I want us to uh, begin something new together as we go through, at least through the, the month of September, living a life that outlives me. I've been thinking a lot lately about how life is limited. The, uh, the psalmist even prays, Lord, teach us to number our days. To number our days means to recognize that there is a number. There is a limit. The, the psalmist is praying, help us to live in such a way that we recognize that we only have so much time and we want to make the most of that time. And that's really what I want us to think about over the next few weeks together. How can we make the most of our time while we're here And how can we live this life in such a way that our impact continues even after we're gone? You might call it a legacy. I I think of it more as a continued ministry. that, That my life, while I'm here, my life matters and it counts. But I want to do something that is that is so important in God's plan that it lasts longer than I do. Living a life that outlives me. And to help us with that, we're going to wind up looking through the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Because if you think about it, the book of Acts tells the story of how the Holy Spirit used a small group of men and women to do amazing things. And the reason that you and I are in this room today is because their lives outlived them. The work that they did had such an impact on the world. The Bible says that they turned the world upside down. Those few who followed Christ first had such an impact that we today still benefit from their ministry even though they're long gone. So it seems that they would be the ones from whom we could learn how to live a life that outlives me. And that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. We're going to start this morning with understanding who these people are, people who outlive their lives. And I invite your attention to Acts chapter 1. If you have your copy of Scripture with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 6. By the way, if you like to follow along in the Bible app, it is set up in there. Uh, If you go to the menu of the Bible app, you'll see the option for events. You click on events, our church will pop up as one of the options. Click on our church and you'll see this morning's uh, message all laid out there for you with some other helpful information as well. The book of Acts chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 6. And what has happened is uh, Jesus has already died. Remember, Luke wrote the book of Luke, and then he also wrote the book of Acts. And he continues telling his story. Jesus has died on the cross. He has come back to life. He walked with his disciples for 40 days after the resurrection. And he told them, you guys hang out here in Jerusalem for a while. I want you to wait here 
until God sends that Holy Spirit that I promised you when we were talking about it in the upper room the night I died. Now, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that was the type of conversation he had with them. You guys hang out here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And so that's what they're doing during these 40 days. They're they're waiting uh, with him and learning from him. And then we pick it up in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. It's what we call the ascension when he got with them, he told them their last marching orders. He had already told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, but now he says the Holy Spirit is going to come, and when he does, you will be my witnesses. In other words, you will tell my story. Understand, those of us who grew up in Baptist life, uh, when we hear the word witness, we often think of those who have been trained in evangelism explosion or or in the, the four spiritual laws, or one of those, we, we automatically think of personal evangelism. When they use the word witness, I don't think they had in mind, I don't think Jesus intended for them to have a system that they could go door to door and use to get people to come to Christ. I think what he's saying is, as you live your lives, you're going to tell my story. You're going to be my witness. What is a witness? Well, you go to a trial, and in the trial, the person who saw what happened tells the story. That's the witness. And so I think that's the way Jesus intended this to work from the very beginning. Those of you who know me, talk about me. I was uh, at the last uh, home football game. We were, uh, no, it wasn't. It was the the prayer walk, at the prayer walk around the, the school's. Uh, we were walking along and made a new friend, and this new friend told me that the, the church in which he grew up uh, didn't, didn't do evangelism. You, you were actually encouraged not to talk about faith with other people, and so we got to talking about how important that, that really is, and I said, you know, we talk, about, we talk about COVID, we talk about politics, we talk about our family, we talk about our grandkids, we talk about the neighbors whose grass is too tall, we talk... We talk about everything. Why should we leave out the one thing that is most important in our lives? Why is it that we can go sit by a family at the baseball field and we can sit there and talk about the weather all day long, but we never seem to get around to saying, you know what, man, God has really been working in my life lately. It's amazing to see what he can do when we trust him. It's funny how that happens in our lives. It's like that, that one subject is off limits. And yet Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, that's what you're going to do. You're going to tell my story. You're going to be my witnesses. 
You're going to start right here at home, and then, and then after you've talked about it here, you're going to move out a little bit, and you're going to talk about it there, and then you're going to move out a little bit. And aren't you glad they did? Because had they not, we wouldn't be here. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, and you will be my witnesses. Another word jumps out at me. Immediately we see Holy Spirit, and then we, we focus on witnesses, and then we look at the plan where you start here, and then you go a little bit further to Judea, and then you go a little bit further out to all of Samaria, then to the end. We, we, we see that in the verse, but listen one more time and hear what I think is an important word that we often overlook. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Remember who he's talking to? He's talking to fishermen. Talking to people who gather the taxes. He's talking to just normal, everyday folk. The people who outlive their lives are first of all regular people. The people who outlive their lives are just regular folks. Here is God Almighty who by his, by his power only need utter a word and all of the worlds and all of the universes all of a sudden exist just because he said so. That's how powerful this God is. He speaks a word and things happen. He can snap his fingers, except he's not limited to having fingers, but he could, he could metaphorically snap his fingers and his gospel would spread throughout the world and every heart would be changed immediately. But he chose. It was his choice, it was his option, and he has chosen to allow us to be a part of the plan. Not the superheroes, not just the Billy Grahams, but you. Look at our verse again. You will receive power. The Holy Spirit will come to you and you'll be my witnesses. Normal, everyday, You remember when the, the kids were little? Some of y'all say, yeah, that's today. When the kids are little, somebody's working in the kitchen, you're cooking or whatever, and the little one comes in and says, can I help? I want to help. Maybe you're working outside in the garage, you're working on the car, and the little one, can I help? I want to help. Okay, yeah, you hold this wrench until I tell you I need it, and then you give it to me. In the kitchen, can I help? Yeah, why don't you stir this bowl here? Yeah. Why, why do we, when they ask for if they can help, why do we involve them? It lets us spend time with them. It helps them know they're important. It also teaches them. You know, if you never let your kid stir the bowl and make a little bit of a mess, they get to college, they don't know how to stir nothing, and they go hungry. 
and then they got to go to the fast food joint and you got to pay for it and you get mad at them, but it's your fault because you never let them stir. <laughs> it teaches, and there's a relationship. Can I help? You bet you can help. I need you to help me. Would you hold this? Would you do this? God, you don't need me. You can make it happen however you, but would you let me help you? God chooses to let us be a part of the plan because there's a relationship happening and because we get to learn that way. And so he says you, regular folks. And notice also he says you will be my witnesses. We want him to say you can be my witnesses. We would even understand it if he said, you should be my witnesses. But what does he say? You will be my witnesses. And the implication is, if you don't show up for court and tell my story, my story will not be told because you are the witnesses you're it. God is saying, I have chosen my plan and my plan is imperfect people. You're it. You can't wait for the pastor. You can't wait for the priest. You can't wait for the evangelist. You're the plan. He chooses imperfect, messed up people. Now we could go into the great theology that Paul explains later on as to why that's the case, but the bottom line is by using messed up people, it brings him greater glory. And when he gets greater glory, more people know they can trust him. It's amazing how he works. The people who outlive their lives are regular folks. Does Jesus still work that way? Does he still use regular, everyday people? Imagine those guys. They smelled like fish at their very best. They didn't, they didn't have degree to spray on in the mornings. These guys are walking around in the desert all the time. Dirty feet, B.O., nasty. And yet he says, you're the plan. Does he still work that way? Still use regular everyday people to change the world? Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship. Just like the sculptor forms a sculpture, like the painter paints, just like the potter makes the, the pot, we are God's workmanship. He has formed us exactly how he wanted us to be. It says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. When you accepted Christ, you became that new creation. You were created in Christ for what? For good works. Now notice the good works follow 
the salvation. It's not that you do good works so that you can get on God's good side. It's that God chose you, formed you the way he wanted you to be, brought you to life in Jesus Christ in order that now you can carry out those good works that will bring him glory. Look, and those good works are those which God prepared beforehand. In other words, if you are alive and you believe in Jesus, you have a purpose. God prepared works for you beforehand. Then he brought you to life to enable you to do those works that he called you to do. So, yes, he still works this way. And that's the second thing I want us to notice, that the people who outlive their lives are regular folks. The people who outlive their lives are prepared by God. The people who outlive their lives are prepared by God. Look at that Ephesians 2 verse again. We're his workmanship created in Christ for good works. He's prepared us. There's a plan from the beginning that before he ever made you alive in Christ, he knew what he wanted you to do, and he prepared you to accomplish that thing. If you've been in church for a long time, or really not for that long, you've heard this many times, so this is not original. But the reason I phrase it that way is there are so many people who have said it in so many powerful ways that nobody really remembers who said it first. But it goes like this. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. It's not that he looks out here and he sees who has the abilities to do what I need and then, okay, now you've got it, so I pick you, you're special. No. It's he calls those who are not qualified on purpose so that in our weakness he can be strong. He calls us first, and then he equips us to do those things that he's prepared us to do. The people who outlive their lives are regular folks, and they are prepared by God. And they are intentional. If you and I want to live up to this, this great idea, this powerful potential of having a life that lives longer than we do, I guess I keep looking down here because I'm, I'm picturing that one day there will be a casket right there and I'm going to be in it. But I, I pray that who I am and what I do lasts longer than that. How do I do it? How do I make sure that my life outlives me? Well, people who accomplish that are just regular people that are prepared by God, and they are intentional. They decide, that's the kind of life I'm going to live. How many of you got to go to the Westfest parade and or Westfest this weekend? You've, you've, been, you've been something with Westfest this weekend. Yeah, a good bit of us. All right, of those who just raised your hand, how many of you accidentally wound up there? You didn't mean to, it just happened. 
Put your hand down, son. <laughs> now, you don't just accidentally wind up at Westfest. Now, your parents may drag you. That's a different story. But we have, we're intentional about the decisions we make in life. You cannot just sit back and wait for God to say, okay, all of a sudden, yesterday you didn't matter, today you matter, here's a life, go live it, do something great. Yesterday you weren't called, now you're called, go do something. It doesn't work that way. God from the beginning has been calling and preparing and equipping, and so now it's up to us to be intentional to say, I'm going to live a life that's going to outlive me. Life is so important, it is more valuable than the 70, 80, 90 years that I have. I'm going to make mine count. The people who outlive their lives are intentional. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, we're his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared those works for us beforehand that we should walk in them, that we choose to live according to those plans of God. I read about a Christian lady who often visited a retirement home near her house. One day she noticed a lonely man that was just sitting there staring at his dinner tray. She walked over to him and said, is something wrong? He said, is something wrong? Yes, something's wrong. I'm a Jew and I can't eat this food. What would you like to have? She said, I'd really like to have a bowl of hot soup. The lady went home, prepared the soup, got permission from the nursing home, took it to the man, and over the next few weeks, she continued to visit him and bring him the kind of food that he enjoyed. Eventually, they started talking about what made her different. And soon... He gave his life to Jesus. Had her goal been to find somebody at the nursing home who needed a track and needed to come to Jesus that day, not sure it would have happened. But her goal was to make a difference in someone's life, to build a relationship, to live a life that was meaningful. I think that's how evangelism happens, folks. I think it happens when you're just living your life, but you live your life in a way that's going to outlive you. And you get a chance to talk to the people around you about stuff that's important to you. And we hear in our minds, you will be my witnesses. In West, and in Texas, and in the United States, and to the ends of the earth.